I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Beauty Bosses. My guest today is Ian Lehrenman, founder and CEO of Emergency. Um, which many of you guys have probably used and heard of. Uh, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you. This is very exciting. Um, so I'd love to have you start by telling us a little bit about Emergency uh, as a brand. Oh, it's really a long story. And <laughs> I, I, we probably don't have enough time to go through it, but I, it's a long New York story where I got into the business by accident. There were other people involved. And about 11, 12 years ago, I had to go to war for the entire brand, and I had lawyers in three countries. It's a long story, but I got total control of the brand, and from then it sort of had a rebirth, and we were really able to create something that was industry-leading in, 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 in sustainability initiatives and results, and we've expanded to 13 or 14 countries since then. Very cool. So for people who aren't aware of what emergency is, it's a... Um, vitamin C-based brand. It's much more than that. Well, we started. I started it with like a single vitamin C serum out of the studio apartment, uh, and there wasn't really a brand. There wasn't really a budget. There wasn't really anything, uh, and it evolved into two products, then four products, and six products, and now we have three distinct ranges under the emergency umbrella. The vitamin C serum was our classic and our original, but we. We have over 85 products now um, in you know, natural products, organic products. We have a, a range called Rawceuticals, which is cold-pressed. Um, so it's really evolved from that time where we just had one vitamin C serum. Okay, so you were born in Vancouver, and did you think when you were in high school that you'd grow up and do this? What no, did you, what did no, you no. Think I, you was actually, be... I was actually born um, in Minneapolis. I was only there two months as a baby, uh, but my parents were Canadian. I grew up in Vancouver. Uh, I actually studied literature in, in college, or we call it university there, and I moved to New York, and I thought I was going to write fiction, which I attempted to do for a while, and I really... I was subletting an apartment from a cousin of a cousin who happened to be distributing some cosmetic products, and I helped out with uh, shipping boxes. I eventually became the sales director, and through all sorts of crazy New York stories, I eventually ended up with my own company. So it wasn't planned. It was just a kind of evolution. And so you were helping with a different beauty brand, and then at what point did you think to yourself, I could do this? Well, you know, I was, uh, I was, um, I, I was uh, running a company where the two owners started fighting with each other and ended up in federal court uh, being dragged through this uh, lawsuit. Um, I was just a minor player and I, I escaped unscathed from all that. But at that point I realized, well, this is kind of what I know how to do. This is how I know how to make a living, and that's how Emergency was born, which was with one vitamin C serum that was more stable than anything else we'd seen on the market. Um, and I just realized I didn't really want to work for anybody else anymore, and that's how the, the brand started. So in your early days, were you contract manufacturing a vitamin C serum, or were you coming up with your own formulation? or and? You know, how did that look? Was it was it super small, like you know, a hundred a hundred uh, units, or was it 
like a little bit I bigger. Would say more like 150. <laughs> no, it was it was, you know, there was a at this point there was a lot of people that were offering me jobs to work for them, and I really didn't want to work for anybody else after the experience I had just had. And somebody knocked on my door who had a vitamin C serum that was in orange and green packaging and had mineral oil and had a terrible name and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I basically said, listen, we're going to change the name. We're going to change the packaging. We're going to get rid of all the no-no ingredients in there. And it was, it, was, you know, it was a time when vitamin C was really popular. And it was basically me thinking, well, I can sell this one serum and make a living off doing this. And uh, there was really no plan to it. So... That's kind of how it started. There was, um, it wasn't clear who owned the formula. It wasn't clear who owned the brand, and that continued for a number of years until you know the big uh, legal blowout that I talked about that happened about twelve years ago. So, as you grew the brand, were you trying to get to a certain threshold of self sufficiency before you started the brand, or were you just like, I'm here and I'm doing it? I'm here and I'm doing it. And I, I was, it was kind of amazing. Like we just had a lot of breaks and, you know, there were, there were, there was back in, back in the day in New York, there was a lot of independent pharmacies that were carrying our product and that, you know, there was people coming up from Brazil and from Venezuela and buying bagfuls of it and paying cash for it. And, you know, it was just a different, it was a different time. Um, but it wasn't a real brand yet. It was high quality product. Uh, but there was really no vision for the brand and it wasn't clear who owned it. And we, you know, or, or at least I, I wasn't even operating on margins that could, where you could run it like a real brand. So it was just this thing that had its own momentum, but it didn't have a real vision for the future yet. How long did it take for you to break even? I was working out of my studio apartment. My fixed costs were really low. And I was starting to make, you know, smaller sums of money, you know, I mean, first we were selling a thousand dollars a month, and it became five thousand dollars a month, and we were selling ten thousand dollars a month. But we had no fixed costs, so it was um, profitable pretty quickly. I was a one-man show in the business for a bunch of years. I did everything. I, I packed boxes. I, you know, I printed out. The, we had a fax machine in the studio apartment that would go off at two in the morning with an order going on. So um, it was kind of profitable right away. It just wasn't clear what it was yet. And are you at all affiliated with the vitamin C emergency no. tablets no. that people uh, And was this part of the story? Well, there's part. There's a part of that <laughs> okay. story. No, so it's a no. A lot it's of people, not part of that. A lot of people think of the like chewable vitamin yeah, yeah. C, you know, that, stuff. That's a, it's that's a different spelling, and uh, it's a different you know it's a different uh, category. It's a different spelling. Um, we were in business for about five years, legally trademarked, all this kind of stuff, where we got a phone call from them one time saying that they were worried there would be some brand confusion. And in any event, I, I won't go into all the details because I'm not supposed to go into all the details, but it all ended amicably. And, you know, we, we went our way and they went our, their way. They, it was a kind of a David and Goliath story because they were a much bigger company than we were. Um, but, you know, we were, we were right legally. We weren't we didn't even know it. when I started the brand we weren't even aware they existed uh, at that point um, and it's different spelling different you know different type of product so yeah okay so you started to grow the brand and then when did you when did you begin to bring on employees and scale like what was your inflection point for going from a small company with a single employee run out of st a studio apartment to becoming something more 
I can't remember exactly when that happened. Um, you know, we we had some, some salespeople that might have just been on commission. I had somebody who would help pack orders for us when we had to do trade shows and stuff like that. It took a bunch of years. I mean, I, I ran it pretty efficiently, and it was just it was done really differently. It was uh, you know it it, it was. To this day, I've never read a business book in my life or a marketing book or anything, and for better and for worse, you know, that, that's how it, so I, I kind of did it in a really unorthodox way, but, you know, I started to make a decent living, you know, for myself pretty early on, um, and I was just worried about not rocking the boat because it wasn't clear who owned it, and it wasn't clear what I could do with the brand and wasn't clear what its, what its future was going to be, so... Um, you know, eventually we brought on more people. We made a lot of hiring mistakes over the years, and now we kind of have an amazing team. Um, where it's not the the you know that I'm not involved daily with the brand, but there's a system in place where things are moving forward on their own. I have a very dedicated team, uh, but it took a lot of time to get to that. I know I didn't answer it exactly. What? No, but no, it's no. Also I liked I can't it. Remember. It was good. Yeah, <laughs> it was good. I I liked that. Yeah. Um, but. Tell us a little bit more about hiring mistakes and like what you've learned about how to how to hire well if you're running a company. Well, you know, it, it, it was a function of my own evolution as well. You you learn how to read people better. You want to see what I want. You know, the people that work for for you know we have a team, but there we're human beings first, uh, and you know even my salespeople, they they're they're not tied to numbers. Like they're not all stressed out all the time that they have to make numbers, right? Now, maybe that's not totally wise, but it works. What I have in, in, in what I've seen in my business or this side of the business is a kind of revolving door of staff for a lot of different com- companies. People come and go or companies get flipped or they get whatever happens. I've created a, a team that's incredibly stable, that works really hard, that's really dedicated we don't have issues of having to hire people because people are quitting. Um, you know, we've just we've just built it, kind of. You know, uh, we we want people that are in it because they want to succeed at what they're doing, but also have a quality life and a family life outside of that because I think that makes them better human beings. I think it makes them more effective employees, more loyal employees. Uh, and more creative because they're not stressed out all the time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How many employees do you have right now at your company? We have 14 um, full-time employees. And then we have, you know, we there's a we, you know, we have a PR team, we have distributors in other countries. We have a, a whole production side of it that we don't directly own, but we work very very intimately with. Uh, there are labs that we work with very intimately as well. So there's a bigger, we run it kind of leanly, um, but efficiently. I, listen, I love that. Yeah. You yeah. know, Kylie made a billion dollars with her seven employees. Yeah. And I feel it like that it's sort of rewritten the script for these companies with a lot of largesse and huge, huge employment roles. I yeah, think no, I, I think we're, I think we were in a place now where, you know, everybody's paid on time and I'm still making a living. And uh, I think we can go a lot further with the team that we have now. I, I see them all. It's amazing because they've all worked for other companies and were uh, taken for granted or in really, you know, um, 
a sort of abusive sort of environments in a way. And now I have people that feel really grateful and really loyal and they appreciate what we're trying to build. And we talk about what our culture is all the time. Uh, and I think everybody's kind of grateful for it. And you, you get people that are willing to work for that. Do you um, have a sense of how big the brand is right now in terms of like where, how far you've expanded, what you, what your volumes are, different, you know, what, what kind of metrics put a, can you share? I'm not going to put a, a number on it, but, you know, we're, we're growing uh, and we have just incredible opportunities at our fingertips right now. There's a lot of balls in the air right now we're with some big hotel chains that are you know that were um, some smaller high luxury hotels all five-star properties are taking us we have a big hotel chain that's looking for us at us very seriously for our sustainability initiatives um, we have other countries coming on board uh, we have some chains like sort of high-end facial chains that are looking at us now um, it's I feel like it's really our time but I, I'm also it's it's not all about for me, being the biggest brand, I, I have kids. I like to see my kids. I like to, I, you know, I drive them to school in the morning. I try to pick them up when I can. I take them to their after school activities. I try to find balance. So, yeah, I live in New York. I need to make a living. You know, I have bills to pay. I understand all that. But it's not the only thing that makes me tick. It's not the only value I have. So, yeah, we're growing. We've grown every year. We're going to grow more. We have amazing opportunities. We might explode upward. I mean, in a way, there's so many opportunities, but I don't want the thing to get to a place where it's it's it has to work for me more than I have to work for it in a certain way. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. How do you balance kind of being a family man with having a business? And what what are you what are what's mostly your advice? I've mostly, I've refused uh, uh, private equity money. <laughs> I've refused capital. Does that mean you do you own one hundred percent of the company? I own the still? business. Yeah, I own the business, and um, I, I you know I, I'm sure we could get a lot bigger, a lot faster if we brought in other people. Um, but then you don't get to make all the calls. You right? don't make it. You don't get to make all the calls. You dilute. Your, you can dilute your brand. It, it can be a good thing if people can bring something to your business. But um, uh, but uh, if you're just working for capital or to have to make numbers every month, it's not something that I dreamed of uh, growing up. Uh, money is important, but it's not a value. Uh, and as long as I have enough, you know, for what I need, and I, I can see the future evolving without, you know, having to be a greeter at Walmart when I'm 75. Uh, if I make it that long, uh, that's okay for me. Yeah, that's very cool. Do you have any advice for people who are listening and thinking about starting their own businesses? Like, what are three key things that you would do differently than what you did? I made a ton of mistakes. I, I would have probably crossed more T's and dotted more I's at the beginning. Um, I would have taken it more seriously more or, you know, earlier on in the business. Um, you know, there were reasons why I didn't take it as seriously. Just one I wasn't uh, ready to, but also wasn't, you know, the initial conditions were more mud, mud, muddled. I really started to take it more seriously when I nearly lost everything and got total control of the business because I realized what I had built and almost lost. Um, I, I think you have to, you have to, it's work, you know, it's work. I mean, you have to uh, respect your customers, you have to have something that they want, and you have to work. You know, you have to be efficient. You have to deliver for them. That's, they're the ones who are paying the bills. How old are your kids? Uh, 13 and 11. Yeah. 
And what do they think about this business? I don't know. I try to keep them out of it. I want them to pursue. Uh, <laughs> I I want them to pursue their passions and their dreams above all. You know, that's that's the thing that's most important for me. What are the things that you're doing to make the brand more sustainable and to focus on um, some of the those global initiatives that you were talking about? A lot of things. I I think we we actually um, take you know we're a niche brand. But I think we've sort of taken the leading role in the industry and we've seen other brands watching us very closely and copying some of our initiatives and I, I'm, I'm all good with that. I think I wish more people would do that actually. But we started an industry first buy one plant one tree planting program. So we plant a viable tree, a viable indigenous tree in a non-harvest location for every retail product that we sold and we've, we're, we'll probably by the end of the year we'll be at a million trees. Um, we uh, make most of our stuff with wind power. We our boxes are manufactured with wind power. We run our offices on wind power. Um, we use paper from sustainably managed forests. We changed a lot of our packaging away from um, plastic to glass. Uh, we're using biodegradable resins. We're using bio, we're using biodegradable plastics that come from sugar cane. We give with every order. Not every purchase, but every order, um, organic vegetable seeds to grow your own lettuce or arugula. It's our emerging seeds program. We give people emerging bees seed bombs, which are clan compost balls that have milkweed seeds, which are the preferred plant of pollinators, so people can make a difference in their own community and help create bee habitat. We're, um, we started a 10,000 metal straw giveaway. We're up to 40, we're changing that to 40,000. We went to 20, then 30, and it's such a popular initiative. So we're giving people stainless steel straws in branded felt pouches that are made from recycled plastic bottles so people reduce their plastic consumption. I mean, we're thinking on multiple levels all the time. Uh, I, I do it because I think it's the right thing to do, and I don't think that people should just be taking from society. They should be giving back as well, or you, you don't have a society anymore. I think that's a big problem in, in the world we live in now. Um, but I also think it's good business. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not naive to that part of it, but... Um, right, people want businesses that they feel an identity with and a loyalty to. I, I want to be able to look at my children. I mean, I, I have all, you know all sorts of worries about what kind of uh, world they're entering into, and they're such amazing, amazing children. Uh, you know, I can't make a difference on my own, but if I can inspire, inspire other people... Um, you know, I think the solutions have to come higher up. But uh, one of the things I, I repeat all the time is, if not us, then who? I mean, who's going to do it if we don't start doing it? Yeah, you know, if I love we don't that. doing a little bit, you know, we, we we promote farmers market on our Instagram all the time. We you know we're we're, we're going to we've given out farmers market bags. We try to get people to just think about what their choices are, and. We're, we never come at it from a, a point where we're trying to preach to people. We're just trying to inspire. We're just trying to lead by example and put some good things out there and some of it sticks and some of it doesn't. What are your goals for the future? Uh, lots of goals. I mean, um, you know, I, I'd like to see the brand go, of course, and I'd like to increase our, our you know, our commitment to social responsibility and, and 
I'd like to do more more initiatives that I think are meaningful. I also, you know, things in my personal life that I'd like to do as well, creatively, creatively uh, that, that are outside the business. So I, I want to do everything <laughs> before, <laughs> before I'm done. Where can people find you and learn more about you and your products? Well, we have a website, um, emerginc.com. Uh, you can find more there. Um, we're sold at, you know, our brand is in its niche, but it's in the best properties in, in North America and elsewhere. I mean, we're Mandarin Oriental in New York, which is one of only two five-star spas in the entire city. Uh, we're at Miraval, you know, uh, there is a few locations now. We're in a number of Four Seasons. We're in Exhale in New York. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're in a lot of first-rate, we're in St. Regis Aspen. We're some of the best properties where, you know, some very influential people go. And I think our brand has traction because not only are their products are amazing, but the brand has some meaning. And I think people are looking for, for to do business with companies that have some sort of meaning behind them. What percentage of your sales are direct through your company versus through other properties and locations? Um, I don't know offhand. Uh, I would probably say that it's a smaller portion that comes directly from our website. We, we, you know, it's we, we, our website sales are going up all the time. It's, it's not that, but for us, it's also too important to support our partners because they're the ones that help build our brand. So, um, you know, the, a larger part is still being sold out of spas uh, where people will get a treatment and they'll like what they see and it's much easier for them. But, you know, sometimes we'll see some reorders from that or, or we're, we're, you know, our, I think the word of mouth on our brand is only growing, so we see more and more coming on the website. Well, this has been so fun chatting with you. Thank you so much for being here, and I can't wait to see and hear about all of the exciting things that you have coming up. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Amazing. <laughs>